2: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Monday, February 7th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Black History, Critical Race Theory, and Emmett Till. Then we remember women's basketball great Lucia Harris. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This month, we're talking about Black history in Mississippi, what it is, how we teach it, and how we learn it. Today, we're joined by Benjamin Salisbury. Benjamin is a native of West Tallahatchie County. He currently serves as museum education director at the Emmett Till Interpretive Center.
1: The Emmett Till Interpretive Center is literally right across the street from the Tallahatchie County Courthouse in Sumter, the Mississippi. Uh, it is... Uh, an organization, or rather an institution, that, that started in the spring of 2015 uh, as a response to our continued efforts toward cultivating racial harmony in Tallahassee County and hopefully spreading uh, that sentiment uh, to statewide and society at large. In in the mid-2000s, uh, the Emmett Memorial Commission uh, began the restoration process of, of the Tallahassee County Courthouse. And this was in response to our desire to start reckoning with our past, right? And and so, throughout the the process of restoring the courthouse, we realized that we needed a day-to-day location to engage the public in this narrative. That narrative being one of uh, remembering uh, the life and legacy of Emmett and Emmett Till Mobley, and then two, our own community and counties choosing to no longer uh, be silent when we think about race and racism. We've felt that the, one of the best mechanisms to do that was to have, again, a, a place in our community or rather in the town uh, that was devoted and dedicated to that effort and finding very or in creating various programs, uh, you know, in the vein of, of encouraging, and uplifting the importance of using the arts to tell new stories while also healing uh, from past trauma.
2: What would be some examples you say you have programs uh do people do research there what what's available
1: so so for one, you know this is a space open for visitors, basically almost any any group any size oftentimes uh, we encourage schools, church groups, et cetera, to visit and we and we talk with them directly about this narrative but uh, I think one of uh, the, the programs that we have the most pride in has been our summer, uh, our summer youth programs, wherein we bring in youth from the area, and for about six to eight weeks, we 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 use the arts as a way of also exposing them to the civil rights movement and teaching them not just about the the Martin Luther Kings and the Rosa Parks, but about the everyday folks that made the movement what it was. And then we use those truths concerning uh, the power of of, of collective. Uh, narrative gathering and sharing as a way of encouraging those youth to then go out into their different neighborhoods and different communities and and work together to make the changes they want to see. And So there are other programs, but the two most prominent and ongoing are one, um, you know, our year-round engagement piece with the public by way of tours slash facilitated talks, uh, but then also our youth programs in the summer.
2: As you know, February Black History Month, Um, Emmett Till was murdered in Money, Mississippi in 1955, and it really ignited the civil rights movement. By the end of the year, the Montgomery bus boycott took place. What do you share with people about the connection of Black history and civil rights?
1: Well, we... Have good reason to 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 believe that the that the Emmett Till tragedy serves as the preamble to the civil rights movement, and we know not just because of the work, but through points of record that there are direct connections with this narrative, along with that of the bus boycott of Montgomery. One such detail is that when when Mamie Till Mobley was in Mississippi during the week of the trial, she stayed with she stayed in Mount Value, Mississippi, uh, under the care in protection of Dr. T.R.M. Howard. Uh, so Dr. Howard was a resident of Malvayu, um, a, a practicing physician, uh, amongst many other things. And when the acquittal was given uh, to J.W. Mineroy Bryant, Dr. Howard took it upon himself to visit various uh, NAACP chapters throughout the Southeast, one of those chapters being that, I believe, in the Montgomery, Alabama, location. Uh, in November of that year, he shared uh, what had happened with of the Emmett Till tragedy, I believe along with Me Till Mobley. Uh, and as such, uh, uh, Mrs. Rosa Parks and Dr. Martin King Jr. were in that audience. And that's not to say that by way of the sharing of those two individuals that then precipitated into the, the refusal of Mrs. Parks giving up receipt. But many years later, Mrs. Parks herself uh, said that she thought about Emmett when she didn't give up her seat, that she thought about Emmett's mother. Um, and so we know that through the sharing of Rosa Parks and others that, that the Emmett Hill tragedy, as unfortunate as it is, absolutely gave way to uh, some of the changes that we're now even benefiting from today.
2: And there are two men that were charged with his murder, but as you mentioned, they were acquitted by an all-white jury. How do you see yes. Black history, do you see it as making a difference today? Black History Month, I should say. You know,
1: Black History Month, in a lot of ways, is a part of the American narrative, right? And I I think it's unfortunate that we've had to find ways to carve out time designated exclusively to the contributions of Black folk from all over the African diaspora. And yet we know, you know, looking at our own nation's history and society at large, Outside of the of the deliberate acts of you know uh, Carter G. Woodson, Dr. Woodson, rather, to to make, to initiate what was first uh, National Negro History Week, it would later become you know Black History Month. Um, so it's important to 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 uplift the accomplishments uh, within the within our society and within the world in the world over when we think about a lot of the innovations and some of the, the comforts that, that I think we take for granted, a lot of those things have come from black folk. And so this is not a way I personally don't believe it's a thing to, to use as a point of division or a point of, of condemnation to any group. But I think it's important to celebrate the things that, that make us who we are and undeniably so that has a lot of those things have come from black folk. Um And so, so to take time to recognize those accomplishments to recognize the literature, and and, and, and the various uh, philosophies that have been shared, as well as the inventions and other things uh, from Black folk over the last, you know, hundreds of years, I, I think it's a benefit to all of us, regardless of what our complexion and, and, and creeds may be.
2: It makes me think about critical race theory, which basically says that Racism isn't individual, but it's embedded in legal systems and policies and institutions in our country. How do you see black history being taught and included with this bill that will likely pass that says you cannot teach that anyone is superior or inferior?
1: Well, what I'm going to share isn't just the belief. I'm going to share what I think is can be accepted regardless of where people stand on various ideologies and philosophies. Schools are institutions of learning, be it public, private, or whatever. It is a responsibility of these institutions to ensure that young people are positioned to think about the world that they live in, to understand why the world they live in. Is the way it is, and then to at least give them the tools needed uh, to, you know, to to make the world better, or at least to be again more informed about it. With that being said, when it comes to history and when it comes to points of record, I can't think of a, of a more fitting place than the, than the classroom setting that we show these points of record. When it comes to undeniable history, it is not a point of debate or even a point of division, when we look at the truths concerning how and why, you know, slavery took place, and how the connection between the narratives of the enslaved have, have, have continued to be an unfortunate current within, within this society. And yet, in spite of those things, as, again, as points of record, showing very clearly to all of Mississippi students um, that we are better positioned to know these truths and work together as a result of us knowing the truth. That shouldn't be viewed as a point of division, nor should it be um, viewed or thought of as a means of teaching one group being superior, but instead it should be valued as our history, because that is the reality of the matter. If and when you get to a state where schools are no longer uh, given and afforded the liberty to teach the truth, then who is truly being divisive here? And, and, and to what extent are we now doing this great disservice to ourselves and our young people? So, this isn't a theory when we talk about Mamie Till Mobley ha- losing her son in 1955, right? This isn't a theory when we talk about uh, the bus boycott of Montgomery. Like, these are points of record without debate that are verified and, and, and really shouldn't even be. Um, there's no reason to politicize history. I think we should use history as a means of learning and growing from the mistakes and or just from the points of record and then choosing going forward to not make those same mistakes.
2: Benjamin Salisbury with the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. Thank you so much for your time and speaking with us, sharing your thoughts about um, the center and Black History Month. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Coming up, we remember women's basketball great Lucia Harris. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor, from fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Over the weekend, Mississippi said goodbye to a titan of women's basketball as friends and family gathered for the funeral of Lucia Harris in 1975. Harris led the lady statesman of Delta State University to an undefeated record and a national championship. In the next two years, she won two more national titles. She also scored the first points in women's Olympic basketball history in Montreal in 1976, where she won a silver medal. She went on to become the first black woman inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane spoke with a few folks who remember her fondly from her playing days. Julian Simpson is a former basketball player and coach.
0: When I met her, I didn't really know who she was, even though she was MVP and a big name because Delta State had won the championship. So my first experience was she, I saw her competing, you know, on the court, She was very, very impressive. I thought, boy, if I could pass her the ball, I know she could score. I played on the um, 75 World Championship team with her that went to Columbia and the 75 Pan American Games that we won a gold medal uh, in Mexico City and then on the Olympic
3: team. Billy Moore was that team's head coach.
0: Yeah, you know, we, the Olympic team it was obviously the first time for um, women's basketball in the Olympics was Montreal. So in the States, we had four regional tryouts. Lucy just was, she stood out. Um, you know, when you're as, as skilled and as dominant as she was at her position, uh, it was obviously a no brainer. And, there, there was a, you was not going to stop her. As I have said before, either one of two things was going to happen. She was either going to score or she was going to score and be fouled. What we're looking for so much today in our society about great role models and on the court and off the court. Luce was one, uh, long before anybody else became a role model. So, you know, on, off the court, I just loved how you could just sit and talk with her forever. And I loved her laugh. Her laugh was great. Now, on the court, I think that's where people kind of looked at her off the court, thinking what kind of player she could be on the court. But she was completely different. She was very, very focused. She was really, to me, a superstar during her time. You know, she played her, obviously, was one of the most successful collegiate players that I've ever played and their their style of play was built around her, you know, coming down, getting into getting into the low post area. To me, the thing I have always most admired about her is when we got we start training for the Olympics, uh, my belief was and my style of play was that we were very much up tempo and we were going to be a transition, we we're going to get up and down the court and that was so different from what she had experienced. And the and I've said this before, the further I get away from, you know, after 37 years after away from it, I'm always so taken back and impressed with how willingly and how much she adapted to the ch- changing in style. And here was the most dominant player, yet she comes into a new system and she, all she wanted to do was help the team in any way and she
3: could help it. My understanding is the U.S. team at one point faced off against a Russian team who had a seven-foot center. That seems like well, a coach's two. nightmare. Uh, what What yeah. can you tell us about that, and uh, how did Lucy help you out in dealing with that pretty unique challenge? Well,
0: I think that when the Olympics was over and we had you know won ourself um, silver medal, and I was asked in the press afterwards, I can remember this, is you know, well, how close are we as a as a country? Being able to compete with the Soviet Union. And I think I said 10 inches, meaning, you know, we have our tallest player was 6'2, maybe 6'3, and, you know, they're at seven foot, You know, they had a, a couple of their wings were 6'5, six 6'6, six six, their center was 7'2. And so, meaning, there was never a question of whether or not our positions, we had as much skill in all the positions. We just didn't have a height. So, as, you know, as, you know, and Lucy obviously um, was still successful. She was our leading scorer and leading rebounder. So, it just the the size is, and I I don't know if you could find somebody to give you a picture and see a picture of of Lucy guarding her vice versa. the the difference in is is beyond what you would even imagine. It was it was an impossible test.
3: In the end, Lucy Harris brought her silver medal back to Cleveland and wrapped up her studies at Delta State. Then something unusual happened. The New Orleans Jazz selected her with their seventh-round pick in the 1977 draft. It was the first time a woman had ever been drafted into the NBA. Lucy never reported to the team. She was pregnant. Plus, she figured the whole thing was a publicity stunt.
0: I would like to hope it was a compliment to Lucy how how advanced her skills were. I hope it wasn't for publicity because she deserved, with her skill level, uh, to be there. Now, would she have a chance to be successful against someone six, eight, six, nine, six, ten? 6'10"? That would have been very hard. But she, did she deserve that try? Yes, she did.
3: Deserved as it was, the opportunity went unused. Julianne Simpson says her mind was elsewhere anyway.
0: She did her job. And then once basketball was over for her, she began to raise her family, uh, two boys and, and then the two girls. And We really didn't hear a whole lot more from her because I think she put a lot of effort into her family. And I think all her focus really became given back to her community doing things. I've had for many years been coaching in college and speaking throughout the United States in my younger days. And I always try to express to the campers or whoever I'm speaking to that everybody has a role on their team and their families and so on. And I always say to them, if you open the book, the Olympic books, the record book, you'll find that Lucy Harris scored the very first women's basketball basket in the very ever first Olympic games. And that was our goal. But everybody has a role. And, And, you know, to me, I really think as we look at some of our best players right now, Lucy is in that category of one of the greatest players.
3: In some ways, you could sort of understand the 76 Olympics to be a turning point that planted the seed in a lot of Americans and a lot of People across the world's mind a seat of interest in women's basketball that eventually, decades later, led to the formation of the WNBA and uh, the rise in the popularity of women's college basketball, et cetera, et cetera. I don't
0: think there's any question, and I think, uh, in fact, some of the players said, and I don't necessarily remember this, but they do that that I told them before the uh, game with Czechoslovakia, which if we won, we win a silver medal. That that the magnitude of this was could have a tremendous impact on what's going to happen in women's basketball for the next 20, 25 years. And it did. And obviously, it, 20 years later, uh, we have uh, the 96 team in Atlanta, which then was became the springboard for the uh, WNBA and became the springboard now since 96. You know, The United States in basketball has won every gold medal
3: since. And therein, I mean, you could therefore make the argument that even though Lucy Harris never played a minute in the WNBA that she was an incredibly important formational character in the development of the women's game in the U S.
0: Absolutely. No question. The fact that anyone that saw her play, she played the game so gracefully and she was so skilled. And when you, and you could tell she enjoyed the game and she was, you know, so always, always had a smile on her face, always very friendly. So she had a tremendous impact springboard. You know, it's not an accident. She, it's a trivia question, you know she scored the first basket in the olympics and obviously our first thing our thing was to go to our strength and she was our strength inside and she scored so another 100 years from now that will still be a trivia question who scored the first uh, olympic women's basketball goal and it's Lucy Harris
3: Lucia Harris died January 18th 2022 in Greenwood Mississippi she was 66
2: This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Have a good day.